0: Welcome to the Warrior Women Project podcast, helping you become a warrior woman, sort your shit, and find better balance in your life.
1: Okay, ooh, hi. Right, so hi. in this podcast episode, I have the very lovely Claire Duffy with me. She is a fabulous author, screenwriter, amazing human being who I just... Really enjoy being around because she has a certain energy about her that just is kind of infectious. So, Claire, welcome to the podcast. Thank
0: you very much.
1: That's so funny you say that actually because that's exactly how I feel about spending time with you. Aww, that yeah. looks sweet. Well, it does. <laughs> Look <at us. laughs> so, do you want to tell the listeners a little bit more about the sort of stuff that you do?
0: Um. Okay. Yep. I uh, well. So, basically, I'm a writer, um, and I've kind of been a writer always, um, pretty much since I was tiny. Um, And I've always worked as a writer. I was a screenwriter for years. I went to film school. And for years, that's what I thought I wanted to do, was to write um, scripts for film and for TV. Um, And then um, I kind of, in some ways, I was really lucky in that I did get to do some things in the industry. um, But I realized after a while that it was well, it was soul destroying, basically, and but I knew that I needed to keep on writing, yeah. so I kind of was this hybrid for a really long time. Of I did little bits of like blogging and journalism, and still did the odd screen project here and there, just anything to keep afloat. Um, and then finally, I sort of admitted to myself what I really wanted to do, which was write novels, and that's what I have started doing. Yes, so. you
1: have, and it has, <laughs> I have read your very first one, which is very. Um, I was going to say infectious I don't think infectious is the right word but it's one of those books that you just want to get to the next page and the next page and the next page until you get to the end and then you're going oh my god oh my god and I don't read fiction so for me to sit down and read a fiction book was um something but to get absolutely hooked in it the way I did I was like oh if I read fiction that's how I want to feel when I read it.
0: Oh that's amazing that's exactly exactly what I wanted with this book that I just loved the idea of because I mean basically that's what I'm always looking for as a reader like I've you know I, I love reading it's like my favorite thing to do and I get so frustrated if I can put a book down it's almost like oh well what's the point in that like that that feeling of I just I want to live in this world forever and I want to keep on turning pages and it was just exactly what I imagined when I was writing what I was like really hoping that readers would experience so anytime that I hear a reader has actually experienced exactly that I'm
1: like yay My job here is done
0: exactly <laughs> my dreams have come true
1: <laughs> so was it scary for you to go from like the film writing screenwriting stuff to move over to being a novelist um
0: yes it was it was terrifying for it was a few different reasons really I mean it, it basically it's taken me something like three maybe even four years of a kind of transition and yep. um, partly because it was it was so scary and in some ways that's in staff I think probably there's a lot of people listening that would kind of go well isn't writing writing but I think there was a couple of reasons and one was because I had I went to drama school and I worked in theater for my first couple of years after drama school and then I went to film school and I kind of like, I've always been really ambitious and I sort of set myself up as, like, the one who's going to make it, you know? Yeah. Um, And that was really important to me to be, you know, whenever you say, oh, I'm going to go into the film industry, I'm going to be an actor, director, writer, whatever. Everyone's like, oh, but it's so competitive. And I was all like, that's not going to count for me. That's, you know, (laughs) not going to be relevant because I'm going to be the one that makes it. And that was a really, really difficult thing to let go. Like, even because for years, it just wasn't making me happy. The whole way that the industry is set up – just, you know, anything creative is subjective, but there's, yeah, I think there's politics and there's, um, like, it's just, it's not really set up to kind of support creativity, really. It should be, but it's it's not, yeah. it's a business. And I knew it was making me really unhappy, but it was like, but I'm but I'm making it and I'm the <laughs> one and I have to be the one to do it. And And that, when I look back, I'm like, how stupid was that? That I was like, letting myself be really unhappy. Because I thought people gave a monkey's whether or not I was a successful screenwriter. Yeah. And then on like the more creative side, like screenwriting is very, um, what's the word I'm looking for? It, it like, The structure is so important. There's almost a blueprint for a successful film, Yeah, um, more or less at least. And it's quite technical. And, you know, you really have to have like, you know, that your turning points are all these places and so on. Whereas a novel can kind of be anything and it can go anywhere and you can just get into characters' heads. And I I wouldn't say it's necessarily like more or less creative because it's a bit apples and oranges. But going from knowing that I had, it's almost like you have this structure of a a film and then you just fill in the scenes kind of to just starting with a total blank page and where what's going to happen to these characters was so intimidating. Like, I honestly, I sat there for about six months just staring at a blank page going, I have to do all the words.
1: (laughs) That's really scary. (laughs) So you said that you were, like, really unhappy when you were in, like, the film and the screenwriting business. How unhappy did you need to get before you went, no, this is it, I have to make the change? Um...
0: Looking back, I think I was probably more unhappy than I realized for a really long time. Um, I was frustrated. And I think actually, do you know what it was? I realized that I'd started to get better. And I had started to compare myself to other writers. And I was seeing other people that were getting commissions or getting uh, their projects greenlit. And I was starting to like not like them or resent them. and, And that's not me. Like I've never wanted to be like that. I've never, I don't think we're in competition with each other. And I don't even think I was in direct competition with those other writers, but it was when I had noticed that I just didn't have positive vibes around everybody being successful and creative together. But I think that was the moment that I looked back and realized that I had just been getting so frustrated. Like there was a bit of a kind of cathartic moment that looking back, I'm quite glad it happened because I might have just let this fester for even longer if it hadn't. But I just had this moment where I had, I think it was four projects set up at a production company. So just really quickly, because it's not that interesting, but basically the way that the industry works is that a writer will either send in what's called a spec script, so, which means I've just written it on spec, send it in, and they might buy it or they won't. Yep. Or I might go in and pitch them an idea, say, let's do a series about blah, blah, blah. Yep. And they, what's called option it, which basically means they like... Um, I read, but like lease the rights essentially and then they've got like two years to try and make it in that time mm-hmm. so you get paid a tiny little amount when they option it and then when they actually commission a script you get paid more and so on and so forth yeah anyway so the kind of the first gatekeeper is to try and get a couple of projects optioned and then the next one is to get the scripts commissioned and then the next one is you get them actually on screen yes so I had four projects that were Two were commissioned and two were optioned. And I was like, okay, this is four. And these are big production companies that I know have money and I know can actually make this happen. Like, this is it. This is really going to happen. At least one of them is going to make it to screen. I'm going to be off, bro. And then within, I kid you not, three days, every single one of them fell apart. And it was like, one of them get rejected. One of them didn't make the next round of financing one of them, it was the producer had gone on maternity leave and she kind of forgot about it. And then the other one was the producer's, it was something like his father-in-law had suddenly passed away. And so he was at the office for weeks and weeks. So it was stuff that had nothing even to do with me. And it was just like, boom, boom, boom. All of a sudden I had nothing. I had no work, no prospect. <laughs> and it was just like, but, 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 but what? Ha, what ha, ha, ha. And I was so lucky because that weekend, a friend, so I was living in Stockholm at the time, and a friend of mine that runs a, um, a nursery school, like a daycare in Sweden, nursery and daycare are all kind of the same thing because yes, um, everybody's in full time. And she came along and said, I really, really need a substitute teacher tomorrow. Is there, like, is there anybody can come in? And I was like, I've got nothing else to do. So I went... <laughs> And it was actually the best like remedy for just how totally soul destroyed and I've been working for a decade towards this and just frustrated and bitter and cynical and all the things I had got at that point yeah. to go in and spend what actually turned into 18 months of like playing with Swedish toddlers was like the best thing I have ever done. <laughs> and, and it was that that I, had, I
1: started to write fiction um, while I was there. Yep. So, wow. Yeah. so <laughs> yeah <laughs> so you kind of yep. almost the way the industry had made you feel you kind of lost this your sense of identity totally totally I mean I kind of lost
0: I think I lost my joy in it like I've always had a bit of a thing that you know life is for living and you can sit around and get fed up about you know whatever it is, or you can just not like, I mean, I think I'm annoying how like optimistic I, I'm always like,
1: yes. <laughs> I am too.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's so much more fun to be like that. And yeah. that was kind of like, that's part of who I am that I'd much rather like just enjoy life rather than not. And even if things are rubbish, like see the funny side of it or, you know, whatever. Yeah. And I had definitely lost that. So I, I caught myself like, you know, bitching about other screenwriters Or being really I, Like that production company The one where the woman went and returned to leave And just forgot I existed I used to cycle past their office And give it the finger For like weeks And then I found out that um, They'd moved offices And I was actually <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> like random swedish people the for no reason and i was like i think that was quite a dark moment for me
1: <laughs> and it's also kind of one of those moments where you realize that all that anger that's inside of you that you think mm-hmm. that you're projecting onto somebody else isn't actually it's all just eating you up inside
0: exactly it totally it was and it was like anger I didn't even know I had but all of a sudden I was like what like I actually because this is obviously Stockholm so it'd be snowing half the time I'd be taking my mitten off so they could see it was actually (laughs) (laughs) that's taking it serious exactly I was like I'm not just waving at you you know with a (laughs) mitten know that I am angry and I just thought and it wasn't even
1: to them
0: yeah, and, and you're right, it was. It was bothering me. None of these people remembered that I existed by that point, which yeah. is how it should have been.
1: Yeah, and it, it kind of should have been that way for you as well.
0: Ex- exactly, exactly. And I think I had to like make that big change. And I mean, I can remember like a couple of weeks after starting working at this nursery, going out with a group of people that were all in the industry, that were all kind of actors and um, directors and everything – And everyone's discussing, oh, I've got this project. Oh, this producer's looking for something. It's all the kind of industry stuff that I used to feed off. And I used to be desperate to be the one who had the exciting project to tell everyone about. And all of a sudden I was like, oh, wee, David, is potty trained today? And, (laughs) you know, like, Cassie didn't cry when her mum dropped her off today. And I just suddenly thought, I'm so happy. Like, just not having anything to do with... um,
1: with with what had consumed me for such a long time.
0: Yeah.
1: And did you never feel compelled to stay within the teaching industry?
0: Um, I, I did think about it, actually, because I discovered that I totally, like, I adore kids, and I I, I didn't even know that beforehand. Like, I always kind of – I think I'm sort of on a level with toddlers, so I've always got on with them, okay? But um, I think that was something that was really – it was really interesting to find out because one of the things that had driven me nuts about the um, – the film industry, And in a way, still what I do now, like it's so subjective. It's so hard to ever know, did I do a good day's work today? Yep. Because, you know, I've written a book and if you were to read it and be like, oh, this is rubbish. Does that mean I did a good job or not? Or is it just yep. how you've taken it? And I think one of the things that I loved about working at the nursery was that it was so easy to know whether you'd done a good day. Like, you know, David had eaten his lunch or he'd not. Cassie had napped or she'd not. Yeah, And I think I realized that that was the thing that I really, really loved about it and kind of connected with it. So I got to a point that I did consider just staying and completely walking away. But I think I realized that writing is so deeply inside me. I just, I can't not. Like I lasted, I think about six weeks. And then I started writing a fictional blog from the perspective of one of my characters that had been in one of my screenplays because I just needed that story in my head yeah and then I actually wrote the first draft of what eventually became dark of night during nap time I'd put all my kids to sleep <laughs> I'd make a cup of tea and then I'd sit there in the corner and write like about murders and stuff so <laughs> I think I kind of knew that that urge to tell stories in some way was in me and I just couldn't escape it even though in some ways I kind of wish not wish I could have but I think that I think contentment was down that road and but that's not for me so
1: yeah so would you say that your contentment is kind of the driving force behind when you make a decision so if you've got like you come to a split fork like you did with the school or the, the writing or you could have possibly done both is it what's going to make me feel most content is what you have it as your driving force behind the decision? I think it might be or at least I think that's where I've got to and I think for
0: a really long time for most of my life it was the exact opposite I was I was chasing adventure and getting out my comfort zone and you know I mean I have emigrated on a whim three times and I
1: love
0: that yeah nothing I'm known for and I just I have this like my parents so many times have been like can you not just have a like nice easy life and I'm like no you know so I've always been like kind of chasing uh, whether it was I think that was part of what um motivated me about the film industry was because it was like so so many people kind of strike out I needed to be the one that was gonna do it even though that made me unhappy and yeah I moved to like Canada on a whim I moved to Sweden on a whim and then I moved back to Scotland on a whim um but I think what this whole sort of change taught me was, was to prioritize contentment. And actually, probably my last few decisions have come much more from that, much more from like, do you know what? This is the only life I've got. And if I'm going to spend the whole time like sort of going uphill, then I'm just I'm exhausted. And yeah. like that's one of the reasons that actually I actually decided to move back to Scotland, because I didn't even grow up here. Like I was eight when we moved away. Um, so in some ways it was kind of moving somewhere brand new like I don't know that many people here but then at the same time I did have this kind of like sense of like coming home and um, I don't know life here is just it's so much easier and I, I never really realized how much Sweden was sort of um, kind of swimming against the tide quite a lot and then all of a sudden I'm not anymore and I've realized how much that actually frees me up creatively to think about things when sometimes just ex- surviving day to day in sweden uh takes up all, <laughs> all my creative <laughs> <of> energy <laughs> so that was a bit garbled but yeah the the a long way of saying that i think yeah for such a long time i i fought against contentment and i yep. finally i think learned the um the value of it
1: yeah at any time when you made your on your whim decisions and just like took off did you ever at any point think oh, shit what am i doing
0: well, most of the time <laughs> <laughs> pretty
1: you just kind of going whatever we'll just see how it works out basically kind of yeah
0: yeah I pretty much probably if I had like a, I don't know, like a motto or something it was just like what's the worst that could happen yeah and that was like the reason that I moved to Stockholm like I still remember I started basically I went over there um it was one so I probably had kind of like two stages of leaving the film industry and the first one was when I was still in London like still had an agent was still you know pitching at you know BBC and Channel 4 and, and all the um, places all the time It was kind of in this sort of rat race and probably again looking back realizing that it wasn't really making me happy and um, but I didn't quite realize why London is amazing and exciting and brilliant but it's also just exhausting like talk about swimming upstream that's just just getting on the tube in london is swimming upstream (laughs) um and so i had there was a bit of a period of change i was i think i was about 30 31 and a lot of my friends were kind of like settling down and getting married and so on and i was like i don't feel like that's really for me but I, i felt like i was treading water so anyway, I went off to Sweden on a whim for um, a weekend because I was reading the Girl with the Dragon Tattoo books. Yep. And I just thought, I'm going to go to Stockholm. And I went there and I just fell in love with it. It was just everything about it. It just fascinated me. It was so weird and foreign and interesting. And yeah, I was just completely like captivated by it. Almost like I almost have a crush on Sweden in some ways, I think. So for about six months afterwards, I kept on going, I could just move there. I could just like what's stopping me it's you know back when we were in the eu like, or oh, we could there was no problem from that point of view there was like i was remember single. those days remember those days <laughs> <laughs> i mean that's one of the things like not to diverge too much like intimate <laughs> brexit but it genuinely like personally i was an eu migrant for five years yeah and um i, like, I feel so passionately heartbroken that my kids or the next generation are not going to be able to move to Sweden on a whim like I did but anyway that's that's what (laughs) I think so I kept on kind of thinking I could do this why not there's nothing nothing to stop me and then one day I just bought a one-way ticket and my mum and my sister took me to the airport and as she was like hugging me goodbye my sister was like I didn't think you were serious (laughs) (laughs) I don't think I did either (laughs) And, like, I'll never feel, like, getting off the plane that night and being like, this is it. Like, I've got nowhere to live. I don't know a soul. I don't speak a word of Swedish. Um, I've got, like, a case in me. And what the hell did I just do? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, but I think that's always been a little bit motivating to me just to, um, yeah, I get myself in situations. And then it's like, well, let's make the most of it. And I did. I had the most amazing five years ever, like I wouldn't swap it for the world. Um, it was a brilliant adventure, even though it was exhausting. And you know what? I don't know if I would have made this decision about the film industry if I had stayed in London, because I think I would have been too, like, like tunnel vision on that rat race and on that kind of, yeah. like... I think somehow living in Sweden, even though the decision to leave the film industry was still difficult, um, it was like all the possibilities were open because it was like, I'm living in Sweden for no reason. So... I've got no limits obviously I could just kind of do anything and and I did
1: yeah so if you were to give advice to somebody who was struggling with the concept of trying to make a change in their life what advice would you give them
0: um I think it would be possibly a couple of things I think probably the main one would be not to not to not do anything for any reason other than it might not make you happy. That was really garbled. Let me say that again. Um, so basically, I think one of the things that had stopped me from making the the change out of the film industry, like I said, was this idea that I had set up like expectations that I was going to be successful yes. in the film industry. And when I look back, I'm like, no, nobody gives a monkey's. You know, none of my friends care. My family don't care. My agent was maybe a little bit annoyed, but um, but I think when I realised that, like, it's only Me, and I'm the only person that's responsible for making me happy, and I'm the only person who really gives a monkey's whether or not I'm happy. That was actually so freeing. So I think it probably the main thing would be, like, forget any external. Forget, you know, expectations that your parents wanted you to do X, Y, Z, or your friends think you should do X, Y, Z. Just try and focus on what, what will make you happy, because it might not be what the people, even people who care about you and, you know, want the best for you they're still they're still not you yeah and probably the other
1: bit oh sorry oh no no you go go (laughs) let's just say the uh,
0: the other bit would be that just to kind of go on what's the worst that can happen there are very very few life changes that are totally irreversible and so go for it try it because worst case scenario you can go that was a disaster i'll get the next (laughs) plane back
1: (laughs) yeah what i was going to say is a lot of people get really stuck on this they've said a goal and they've said it to somebody or they they had a dream as a child but then as they started to work towards it they've realized they don't want it but because mm-hmm. they've started working towards it they're too scared to go no actually that's not what I want anymore and change exactly. direction and that's something that I teach my women because I mean I wanted to go and live in Australia from when I was a small child I then mm-hmm. married an Australian, went to live in Australia got there and went oh no this is not for me I want to go back home and mm-hmm. before I left I spoke to loads of people who were expats and they were like, oh, how are you finding a show? Yeah, I was like, oh, I'm not really enjoying it. I'm going to move back home. And so many of them had said that they wished that they had done that, but now it was too mm-hmm. late for them to move back because their entire life was there. Mm-hmm. And if they moved back, they were moving back to nothing. And it's like, oh, that's heartbreaking. Yeah. Like, that to me is just heartbreaking that you feel so stuck in something. Oh, uh, absolutely. If you want to be somewhere, whether it's a country or you want to do something, like you follow whatever path in your career, you just have to do something that helps you move in that direction so that mm-hmm. you don't feel completely trapped in the life that you have built if it's not the Absolutely. one that you want to be in. Oh, well,
0: exactly. And I think sometimes you just, you don't know whether or not a path is right for you until you've tried it. Yeah. You know, right. I think it'd be so easy to be like, oh, I'm going to live in Australia, I'm going to live in Australia, I'm going to, oh, maybe I'm actually not. Well, you, you don't know because sometimes, um, yeah, you have a vision of what a particular life is going to be like. And it's not until you actually get there and you start doing it that you kind of go, "Oh, this, this yeah. isn't for me." Um, oh, I had an interesting point, and it's completely gone. Sorry, <laughs> that's all right. But, <laughs> that happens. Oh, but, yeah. that's true. Um, oh, I don't, this wasn't on say, but sort of related to that. Um, I think in some ways, I needed to get to a point where I felt like I was also walking away from, like not success, but I know that I was really trapped in this idea of. have to be the one that makes it so actually after that first sort of you know um cathartic the four projects fell apart I had a couple that came back and actually one of them is going to shoot in the next few months hopefully which is kind of amazing but it's also been so gratifying for me because I've kind of gone now that now this is successful and oh I still don't want it so sometimes that can be like I think really freeing as well when you actually get what you wanted and then you kind of go Oh no this isn't actually make, I was imagined it make me happy but yeah. but it doesn't and so
1: it's been able to nice. let, let go a little bit
0: because yeah. when you
1: when you have an expectation and you cling on to it and you cling mm-hmm. tighter and tighter it, it seems to move further and further away but then when you let go of that need it comes to you a bit more easily uh, exactly i yeah. think so
0: and i think sometimes as well when you let go of a need you can sometimes see um whether I'm trying to think how to word this exactly. Like sometimes I think what you thought the need, I think what what you thought would fulfill a particular need actually doesn't. Yeah. And you need to kind of go back to what it is that you truly need. Um, so like, for example, with my writing, it suddenly struck me that I always think about the audience. I always picture somebody sitting in the cinema or sitting watching telly and connecting to one of my characters and, you know, you're wanting to watch the next episode or maybe realize, like, I think, a lot of um because as I say, i've always loved reading i've always watched telly and i learned so many things i learned that other people feel i don't know insecure about whether or not people fancy them through reading books when i was a teenager or whatever yeah. and so i've kind of always that's deep down has always been my my thing that i wanted to create as a writer was to create know, stories that people could identify with could maybe feel reassured by a little bit and I didn't, I'd never articulated that. I'd never really um, consciously realized it myself. And that was one of the reasons that screenwriting wasn't for me because as a screenwriter, you're so far away from the audience. Like there's the producer and the director and the actors and the editors and the marketing people and so on. Yeah. You're so, and that's one of the reasons that, not only writing novels now but self-publishing them as well there's nothing between me and my readers and it took me all these years of trying out different things to realize that's that's my need that's what really motivates me is the idea of somebody like you just said and going oh I never read fiction and I love this book yeah that's kind of what it's all about for me and the film industry was never going to give me that
1: yeah because there's too many people that have their opinion and have their vision of what Mm -hmm. it's to be so you're just putting the sort of outline edge of it there, and then by the time it gets to screen it's a completely different story it's not necessarily your vision unless you are fortunate enough to be the producer director
0: exactly and everything
1: in between and
0: Yeah. And even then, like when you think about like a great character that you love on any program, like, you know, Vikings or whatever, you probably think of the actor. You're not thinking of the screenwriter that thought it up or the person who wrote that particular episode or whatever. There's even when it all kind of goes really, really well, you're still quite disconnected from the audience. Yeah. As a screenwriter, you write for a development producer because they're the one that's going to buy your script. And it doesn't really excite me, the thought of development producers liking my script because it's their job to, you know, yeah. they're not really ever going
1: to be moved or, or whatever. So, And then their so mood exactly. on the day that they read your script is going to have a big impact on whether or not they like it. So oh, It doesn't absolutely. matter if you have written a piece of fine art, mm-hmm. if that person reads it and is in a shitty mood that day, that's it oh, going to go in the bin. Exactly. Or even if they totally loved
0: it, but their bosses just told them no more murder things i'm sick of murder go and find me a historical drama or whatever it is and and that's kind of like going back to sort of where i started with this that's the the soul destroying part of um screenwriting basically you're trying to sell something but you're trying to sell something that is so subjective you can't control it you know again there's no good or bad because now with my books somebody could still do the same thing they could read it and go oh that was rubbish but be, and it might be because they're in a bad mood or it might not be, but somebody else could we didn't really enjoy it. And again, yeah. they might really enjoy it because they're in a good mood and there's nothing much I can do about that, but yeah. it's so much more satisfying to connect directly
1: to them, I think. Yeah. How do you deal with if you ever got negative feedback? Um, it, well, it
0: probably depends on what kind of mood I'm in, actually. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then I think it also depends on exactly what the feedback is and because because I've been a writer for such a long time like I have got rejections on scripts you know the sort of more than people have had hot dinners kind of thing so in a lot of ways I'm really thick-skinned about it and I'm like I know that you know there's Oscar winning films I thought were rubbish you know like I was my my dirty secret is yeah exactly like the wire can't get into it and everyone goes on about it how it's like the greatest thing on earth and I'm like I don't deny that but I can't get into it, I'm sorry. So I think because I kind of know that if my script or my story or my book, or whatever, isn't for somebody, I'm kind of okay with that. Um, But I think there's certain, sometimes it can be a really specific thing that can just get to you or just be frustrating. Like when, um, I, I think when somebody's maybe reviewed something and you can just tell that they were in a bad mood when you read it and it's just like, that's so unhelpful. <laughs> so I think probably generally it doesn't particularly get to me because I sort of yeah I know something's for somebody or it's just not um it can be frustrating it's never the most fun side of it but I suppose I kind of go for—is it an Oscar Wilde quote that the worst thing is not to be talked about at all? I think I'm like enough of an attention whore that even if somebody hates it with the passion of a thousand
1: suns, <laughs> I'm like, "But you read it. <laughs> <laughs> that's all that matters. Exactly. <laughs> you've read it and you've disliked it enough that you wanted to talk about it. Exactly. Rather than like, just go, "Yeah," and put it away and what, never speak about it.
0: That's the thing. Actually, in fact, you've just hit the nail on the head because that, to me, is what would be would break my heart. Somebody who just goes, "Yeah." Yeah. And like sometimes when someone has said that they've started the book and then I've just never heard from them again, that is so destroying because I'm just like, did you ever finish it <laughs> or did you just read five pages and like hate it or did you finish it and just go, oh. and I know that's not the case, but I think that's it. Actually, it's somebody not reacting at all is the negative feedback that I can't handle somebody hating it, it in a weird way. That's a compliment, you know, yeah. because obviously it, it touched something in them in yeah. some way to, to make them go nuts against yeah, them. Definitely. So, so yes, if anyone who's read my book is listening right now, please just let me know if you finished it. That's all I need. <laughs> <laughs> or oh, don't ever tell me you started it because then I'll be wondering.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> so if you've been able to go back and give your younger self some advice when it comes to making change, what would that advice be?
0: Um, Well, it probably would be kind of similar in that don't worry about what other people think. Um, But in a way, even though there's a part of me that sometimes thinks, I wish I had made these decisions earlier. Like, you know, I spent years and years and years working, working, working to get into the film industry. Um, But on the other hand, I don't know if I would be writing the novels I'm writing now had I not had my scripts battered to pieces by the film industry and also me as well I was battered to pieces in some ways and and all the experiences that I had in that time honestly if I'd written novels in my 20s I think they would have been rubbish so even though there's a part of me that kind of I wish I had done it earlier I don't think I would have been doing it as well earlier so I suppose the only one would be yet not to I think not to worry too much about things being permanent. Um, Cause I think, yeah, when I was sort of around 22, 23, leaving film school, I was like, well, now I'm a, I'm a filmmaker, I'm a screenwriter and I'm going to be that forever. And I kind of sort of set up that pressure and expectation. And looking back, it was like, I really didn't need to. I just made it all up in my head.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think that's something that is easily forgotten that nothing is permanent. Mm-hmm. Like yeah, absolutely nothing that you do is permanent
0: exactly it's It's, really not and when you realize that then you're suddenly empowered to make all the decisions because you're like well you know like i said before what's the worst that can happen you unmake it
1: (laughs) yeah oh shit mistake yeah (laughs) yeah oh let's just pretend that never happened (laughs) let's try something else (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. oh my goodness so just before we wrap up the podcast this has been absolutely fantastic i just want to thank so, you so much for your time today mm-hmm. and oh, also all the time that you've given me over, since we met what well, a year mm-hmm. it must have been a year ago but you know
0: almost exactly a year ago yeah because a facebook we thing that, came up reminding me
1: yeah we were on that workshop together that's right yeah and um, so i just want to thank you for your energy your positivity mm-hmm. and your book and i'm going to read the second one i haven't started mm-hmm. it yet though <laughs> i promise <laughs> that- i haven't started it yet <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah, yeah, you
1: started it there. But now you've said that I'm going to be waiting. Has she started it yet? Has she started it? <laughs> no. no. Like now that I've said that to you, though, I do have that right. I must go and actually start, <laughs> start it, it so that I can finish it, and then I can let you know that I've everything. Exactly. Okay, good. <laughs> Phew. Now you know that from
0: this moment onwards, I'll be like, "Has she ready yet? Has she ready yet? Yeah.
1: yeah, has yeah. she ready? Yeah. But oh, not still on my Facebook page. <laughs> yeah
0: i'm still reading claire don't worry i'm on page this i'm on page that (laughs) but no thank you thank you for having me and like i said same thing right back to you i always come away from all of our sessions so so
1: energized and positive and ah, it's brilliant cool so do you want (laughs) to let the listeners know where they can find you and your books um Mm Oh, yes. Um, well, either uh, com is uh,
0: my sort of like writer website, which at the yep. moment is pretty much all about my books, um, or you can find them on Amazon. What are the names of the books? At Dark of Night, Dark um, of and night. it's episode one and episode two that are out at the moment. And okay. episode three as soon as I can.
1: Next few weeks, hopefully. No pressure, no pressure. <laughs> <laughs> Right. Thank you very, very much, Claire, for your time. Thank you. You're welcome. I will let you know when this is going live so that you can listen back to your own advice. Brilliant. Looking forward to it. I'm very wise. (laughs) (laughs) You are. You are very, very wise. (laughs) So that was our interview with the very lovely Claire Duffy. If you have loved this um, interview, check out the other interviews that are there. Um, Future interviews will be getting uploaded as and when I do them. So please subscribe to the channel either on SoundCloud or on iTunes. And if you are loving these podcasts, if you could please leave us a five-star review. It's not for my ego, it's for iTunes. So that they know that it's worth listening to and they're more likely to help us promote them. So check out the show notes, um, how to get in contact with Claire. And if you have somebody that you think that would be good to be interviewed on the podcast, please just send an email over to me, Jen at com. There are many more interviews lined up and in the pipelines and being recorded and getting uploaded, which I'm very excited about and can't wait to share with you. Until next time.